Welcome to Bible Chapter Every Day. I'm Matthew. Our chapter today is 1 Corinthians 15. Let's ask God to bless our time today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing things to us. We know that we cannot figure things out on our own. We need your revelation. We pray that we would understand, that we would believe, and we're thankful for the wonderful promises you give us, especially the promise of the resurrection. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15. Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I proclaim to you, which you have also received, in which you also stand, by which you are also being saved, if you hold fast to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed to no purpose. For I passed on to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised up on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at once, the majority of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as it were to one born at the wrong time, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me has not been in vain. But I labored even more than all of them, and not I, but the grace of God with me. Therefore, whether I or those, in this way we preached, and in this way you believed. Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ has not been raised either. But if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And also we are found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if, after all, then, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised either. But if Christ has not been raised, your faith is empty. You are still in your sins. And as a further result, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have put our hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all people most pitiable. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since through a man came death, also through a man came the resurrection of the dead. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own group, Christ the first fruits. Then those who are Christ's at his coming, then the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For it is necessary for him to reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For he subjected all things under his feet. But when it says all things are subjected, it is clear that the one who subjected all things to him is not included. But whenever all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, in order that God may be all in all. Otherwise, why do they do it, those who are being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why indeed are they being baptized on behalf of them? And why are we in danger every hour? I die every day. Yes, indeed, by my boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. If, according to a human perspective, I fought wild beasts at Ephesus, 
What benefit is it to me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Sober up correctly and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will say, How are the dead raised, and with what sort of a body do they come? Foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body which it will become, but you sow the bare seed, whether perhaps of wheat or of some of the rest. But God gives to it a body just as he wishes, and to each one of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same, but there is one flesh of human beings, and another flesh of animals, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish, and heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly bodies is of another kind. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Thus also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruptibility. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, made of earth. The second man is from heaven. As the one who is made of earth, so also are those who are made of earth. And as the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the one who is made of earth, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. But I say this, brothers, that flesh and blood is not able to inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruptibility. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For it is necessary for this perishable body to put on incorruptibility, and this mortal body to put on immortality. But whenever this perishable body puts on incorruptibility, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Now, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Well, that's the reading. Let's dig in. In this chapter, Paul is refuting some bad theology. Some were teaching that people's bodies were not going to be raised from the dead. It isn't such a surprise that people would teach that because that is what the Greeks believed. They believed that the soul would live on, but the body would die and not be raised. And actually, there are Christians today who think that is what the Bible teaches, but they are actually paying more attention to what the Greeks theorized rather than what the Bible teaches. Paul starts out by explaining the gospel, the good news. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised on the third day, he was seen by witnesses, with Paul being the last. The buried part makes the death certain, the witnesses seeing Jesus alive makes the resurrection certain, 
and everything was according to what the Old Testament had predicted. Then Paul argues that if people aren't raised from the dead, then the witness of Jesus' resurrection are wrong. If they are wrong about that, then the whole gospel falls apart. So we aren't forgiven of our sins, and the whole thing is a waste of time. But Paul says Christ was raised, so this isn't a waste. And we are in a process of waiting for the final victory, when death is abolished, so that everyone can be raised. We learn an interesting fact that once Jesus has defeated every enemy, then he will hand the kingdom over to the Father. Paul goes back to the subject that everything is a waste if there is no resurrection of the dead, verse 29. Otherwise, why do they do it, those who are being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why indeed are they being baptized on behalf of them? There has been some debate as to the meaning here, but the simple answer could be, if Jesus is still dead, why would we be baptized in his name? And why go through all of the suffering of a Christian? Paul had gone through a lot of suffering for Jesus, and he thought it was worth it, because Jesus was alive. Verse 33, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Sober up correctly and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. It seems that the bad theology of the resurrection was leading people into bad actions, sin, because if they didn't think the body would be raised, then they could justify sin in the body. The obvious question after we learn of the resurrection is, what does it look like? Paul points to seed that we plant. The seed dies, then the plant comes up. The plant doesn't really look like the seed, but the seed produces the plant when the seed dies. So, our bodies will be changed, sown in a weak physical body and raised in a spiritual body. Then Paul reveals a mystery. A mystery, as the word is used in the Bible, is something that we couldn't figure out on our own. It has to be revealed to us. So Paul reveals to us that some people won't die. They will still be alive when Jesus returns. But all of our bodies will be changed. So Paul says we should be immovable in our faith in this promise and not believe in the lie that there is no bodily resurrection. And now for a deeper dive. It was hard for the Corinthians to believe in the bodily resurrection, because that wasn't believed commonly in their culture. There are a lot of things in the Bible that go against our culture. What is commonly believed changes over time. God's revelation is the same. So at different times, different things in the Bible will take more effort for us to change our minds to think God's way. One thing in this passage that may be hard in our culture is the idea that Jesus will be subject to the Father. The Roman Catholic Church teaches the idea of the Trinity and seems to say that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal. At least, in our culture, that is the typical way to take it. While I agree that the Bible teaches that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God, and that they are 100% unified, I do not believe that the Bible teaches that they have the same role or authority. So, is the Father greater than the Son? Jesus used those words in John 14, 28. The Father is greater than I am. It doesn't mean that the Father is better than Jesus. It doesn't mean that the Father existed before Jesus. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't God. But there is a different authority and order. This is hard for us in our society that likes to build up the individual and talk about rights. God set up an order of authority on this earth, just as there is an order of authority in heaven. There are many other things in our society that make it hard for us to think God's way. But God's way is the true way of thinking, while society will change its views. And the promises of God are amazing.
the world can only offer death. Scripture quotations are from the Lexham English Bible, copyright 2012, Logos Bible Software. Lexham is a registered trademark of Logos Bible Software.